It's your boy, Philanthropy and Focus, the name of the show. I always got to try to force myself to say the name of the show because I always start talking and two minutes go by and people go, where is this guy and what are we doing and why are we together? Philanthropy and Focus is the name of the show. My name is Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector. And that's what it's all about. I've been on three phone calls this morning already with different nonprofits and a bunch of text messages with different leaders of nonprofits. And Tommy, I need this relationship. Can you help? Can you connect us? And I would say, of course. That's what a nonprofit sector connector does. Shout out. I just put a post up on social media because uh, there is a picture of me in the background uh, on the Long Island Herald. So check out, uh, check me out on LinkedIn and I put it up on Instagram, TommyD.NYC. But my friends at Book Fairies out here in Long Island recently gave away their four millionth book. Four millionth book. It was an idea that my friend Amy Zaslansky had many years ago. She was doing a book drive just for her local school that needed some books. And that turned into a nonprofit organization that has now put 4 million books in the hands of children and adults who need books. And uh, hashtag, let's figure out this literacy thing, gang, because so many social uh, results come out of not being able to read. And we don't have the time for it now. Although maybe when Nancy Harvey and I are talking about it, we'll be relevant to the senior community like we're talking about right now. Nancy, I'm going to go on for two minutes. So I want to say hello to you for a second. Good morning, Nancy Harvey from SPOP. Good morning. How are you? Service program for older people. What's up? I am doing well. Thank you. Happy to be here with you this morning. I'm happy to have you here. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot to get into. One of my favorite topics to discuss is mental health and uh, and how we address it and how we end the stigma. We've been talking about that only since the beginning of the show. You know, my second ever episode, Dr. Larry Grubler, Transitional Services for New York, TSINY, said to me, Tommy D, because that's my name. He said, Tommy D. We all need support at different times. And I think if we remember that as a society, as a human race, we also got to support the animals, but that's another show I do, the Professionals and Animal Lovers show. But when we're talking about it, we all need support at different times. We need to find love. We need to find compassion. I say those four lads from Liverpool taught us all those years ago, all you need is love. Well, you need a couple of things too. But I mean, if the baseline is love and compassion and real human decency for each other, I think the world becomes a better place. All right. So I was saying the four million books, I was making some text messages today where I was making some posts this morning, spoke to a great woman uh, who's doing some really cool stuff in philanthropy on Long Island. More to come on all that. We'll be talking about it. Uh, I do want to make a shout out really quick. The way that Nancy Harvey and I get to connect is because since the inception of the New York City Imagine Awards, I have been involved. I'm an old school Long Island Imagine Awards guy. And uh, since we've started the Imagine Awards in New York City, I've been involved. Nancy uh, was a semifinalist in uh, in the process for the Imagine Awards. The finalists just came out. Nancy, I know you're going to be in the room with us anyway, because we made sure that we have tickets for people. So unfortunately, you did not make it to the finals. And I hate to start a show that way, but I want to reference it because it's the importance of community. I I almost feel a little responsible that you're not a finalist because I wrote the write-up. So I feel like I didn't do a good job. So uh, we're going to show and prove why this organization and you as a leader from the purpose of seniors who have mental health issues from the network that you've created. And I talk about networking all the time, but a network from a different sense, a network of providers, hospitals, senior community care centers in the community and all this stuff. We're going to get into all that today. Um, but I did want to just reference that if it's not for Ken Serini and then the Imagine Awards, you and I don't meet candidly. Like that's that's how it works. So um I, I appreciate uh, you coming on to the show today. I have a lot to talk about with you. Um, as we talked about, there's a couple of things I got to I got to sort of shout out right away. When I looked at your bio, um, my wife went to New Paltz. And while my wife was at New Paltz, my cousin Mickey and my buddy Danny were at Marist. So we spent some time up there uh, on the Hudson, you know, back and forth, different sides. And I'm trying to think because you got your B.A. at New Paltz, right? And wow. you got your master's of social work from SUNY Albany. That is SUNY New Paltz, everybody. I don't know, Nancy, about you, but we used to go up to the mountains up there. And at the time, we had a little chihuahua. And his name was Mickey, although his full name was Michelob Light, which would just tell you sort of what my era of that era of my life was like. September 21st, actually two months from this morning, will be 13 years without having a Michelob Light or any drinks in my body, gang. So keep the, keep up, uh, you know, doing what you got to do to protect yourselves when that's important. Uh, but when it comes out, his name was Mickey, and we would take him up to the mountains. And I can't think, I texted my wife, I can't think of the name of the mountain that we used to go up to. Um, Mohonk? Mohonk. 
The restaurant up there too. We couldn't afford it. We were college kids, so we couldn't afford the restaurant. But we would have sandwiches, like, and we would see the restaurant, like, when we were up there on the waterfall and stuff like that. What a beautiful part of New York! And gang, listen, there are five boroughs of New York City. There are two two counties out here on Long Island, but then there's a whole state. It's not just the Bronx and then Canada. Although some of us downstaters might act as if it is just the Bronx and then Canada, but there's a beautiful. Uh, other many, many, many beautiful parts of New York City, excuse me, of New York State that don't involve the Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty. Nancy, so let's dive in. I have some background. We, I just kind of goofed a little bit about the New Pulse thing, SUNY Albany. I, I do want to read, but I want this to be your story, but I, I it is your story, but I want to read a little bit about, about your background because you've been an advocate in increasing access to geriatric mental health care in this New York region and have developed outreach strategies in partnership with New York City Aging, the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, Mount Sinai, New York Presbyterian Hospital, Sage Services, which I hope we're going to get into Sage later on, Sage Services and Advocacy for GLBT Elders, Visions, I know the gang over Visions, and many other relationships. And I would ask you this, like, I want to hear about you and your background. And eventually I want to get into, I wrote here, partnerships and collaborations, because that's where I live. And that's really where I think a lot of what your success as an organization and certainly your success as a leader, because when I met with you and your team with regards to the New York City Imagine Awards, uh, it was all that. It was what you have to understand is Nancy has created these relationships. What you have to understand is Nancy built this infrastructure and all these connections. So I said a lot. I'll try to say less, but I'd like you to take it away now. If you could, Nancy Harvey, CEO of S-P-O-P, I want to get it right, service program for other people, or as you say, SPOP? SPOP. SPOP. I like I like acronyms. I'm big on acronyms. That's why, uh, you know, I started doing a hashtag, hashtag N-P-S-C. That stands for Nonprofit Sector Connector. That's my new acronym. So take it away. What brought you to social work in general? Is there a story there? And then I'm sure there must be something that brings you to being involved in the geriatric community. What is the relationship to that? Because in my experience, I don't think people just say, you know, kind of look down at a, at a book and they go, Oh, I'll do that. Or I'll do, there, there's usually a catalyst. There's something in their life that, that kind of helps them on this journey. Can you, can you start there? Sure. Happy to. Um, so yes, I got my undergraduate degree at SUNY New Falls in sociology, trying to just yep. a general topic that many people uh, majored in in my time, um, and then graduated and was trying to figure out what next. Um, my um, uncle was visiting from Illinois. He is was an architect and urban planner working with the older community um, and started talking to me about the work that he's doing, developing housing for senior citizens and said this is working with seniors is going to be a growing field. What I think about that said, well, it sounds interesting. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Uh, and connected me to a number of people in the field that he had been working with in New York, um, chatted with them and said, oh, this sounds interesting and made the decision to go to social work school up in Albany. Um, and But I was primarily interested more in the administrative side of things. Although in school, you do obviously take clinical work and, uh, you know, um, learned all about that. But I've always had an interest in more the administrative side and um, graduated um, from SUNY Albany and um, started my career um, working in the field of working with older people. Um, But that also, my interest also was always felt a connection, a strong connection to um, grandparents and older folks in my life. Um, and I think a lot of people who go into the field, that's where it comes from, that some, yeah. some kind of connection, um, yeah. strong connection. I've always felt an affinity. I've loved hearing people's life stories. Um, I yeah. enjoy to this day reading obituaries, not that. Do you? Do yes. you? Oh, I like to hear yes. about people's lives and things that they have accomplished. I want to, I want to ask you about that because let's let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I got we're going to come back to obituaries in a second, but right. I do I do feel like I need to make a shout out. So I'm a product of Nassau Community College, followed up I graduated from SUNY Old Westbury, both of the state of New York system, and I would say the state of New York has incredible educational systems, gang. And if you are, and that not just the state of New York, every state has great you, you know um, 
uh, schools and colleges in their university system. And I would just encourage you to check out that stuff as a younger person or somebody who's going back. I mean, I am right on the cusp of going back myself. There's actually a nonprofit program at SUNY Old Westbury. So I'm going to go back and take a couple of courses. But I just encourage, you know, a great education at a much less of a cost. Uh, and shout out to the city schools as well, New York City schools, because same same thing. But what a cool thing, um, you know, because the, the the obituary piece there, because it might have been like something where somebody go, what? That's kind of morbid. Why does she want to? But it's it's there used to be a show on A&E. And I don't even know if A&E is actually a channel anymore, but it was called Biography. Mm-hmm. And it was a great show. And I, I do like to read, but I always find myself reading like professional development books or, but I do much, I, I much rather either somebody read to me, which doesn't happen as an adult all that much, but unless you use Audible, and I love Audible, but I like to to either be told a story or listen to a story or something like that. And uh, that is interesting to me because you know, actually, I, I don't know why this is coming up for me, but we go to Hershey sometimes, you know, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go to these towns, like if, if you stay at the Hershey Resort or the Lodge, there's like this constant loop of the Milton Hershey story. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great any of those stories are great because it's someone's life story. So I, talk to me. When did you decide I'm going to start reading obituaries? That's like, how did that happen? Um, I can't say I can remember when I decided, but I, somehow I was drawn to reading about, I find it's interesting to read about people's life stories, things that they've accomplished, things that they've been through in um, throughout their lifespan. And I just find it's fascinating. Um, and um, yes, of course, it's sad that they're no longer with us, um, but it's really, I find it just amazing to read about what people have accomplished and uh, in their lives. And so that's where it comes from. It's, it's just interest in hearing what people have done, um, where they've been, where they've got, you know, throughout their life. Yeah. You know, I had to Google it while you were talking, because I want to find that there's this poem that refers to the dash when you think of a gravestone. And I didn't know we were going to go in this direction. So, uh, <laughs> so, but it's, it's, um, a poem by Linda Ellis. And, uh, I didn't know that either, but, um, the internet's a little slow here, but maybe if I get the poem, I'll read it to everybody when we come back. But the thing is, it refers to the dash between the person's date of birth and their date of death on their tombstone, because isn't it really, isn't the dash everything? It's not mm-hmm. when I got here and when I left, it's what is the story that happened in the middle? Mm-hmm. And uh, I will do my best to read it for everybody, uh, potentially this morning when we come back from a break. Um, so that's interesting to me. I think that draws you to, obviously, as you talk about the work, I remember my grandparents, man, uh, especially my mom's parents, my Nana and my pop. And I was the, I'm the oldest grandson of 20 grandchildren on that side of the family. Yes. My cousin Mariah and then me and then a whole bunch of the rest of us. And, uh, you know, I had this certain like, I don't know, kinship relationship. I freaking love them and they love me. They love their Tommy D. Like I, Nana used to say, you light up my life. Who knew I was going to sing gang? I knew, but <laughs> Nana used to sing that song to me and uh, I miss them a lot. And I find I'm always drawn to, uh, I don't even want to say like seniors. I mean, my father's going to be 72 years old and he's, I wouldn't even consider him a senior. You know, he runs his own business. Shout out to Papa. Thank you for the Italian ices you donate all the time to my nonprofit friends. Right. That's my dad, Ralph's Ices in Huntington, New York. But, um, I, I feel like just people of a different era, Nancy. I love connecting because I could just sit for days and listen. And I think in not to beat up on us as a society in the States here, because that's a real harsh generalization. But I will say this. I realize that other societies, I think, venerate and respect the wisdom of the elders more in my experience than I think we do here. That's just a comment. I don't want to argue anybody about it. It's just one man's commentary, a guy who spends his days in an attic. So if yeah, if you know, if you if you don't like what I'm saying, well, it's just one man's opinion in an attic. But I do think that we we um could much have a much better focus on people's stories and the wisdom that that people uh, who live life and have experienced a longer dash than than those younger people uh there's so much there and i watch my own kids with with their grandparents my my parents and my wife's parents and that that connection it's a different connection and also those cute phrases about grandparent being a grandparent is great because you get to bring them home and drop them off and all that kind of stuff but but it is a a different and unique relationship um i love you know and i, I don't do it enough but 
I want to go and do some more service work in the senior community. And maybe that actually could be something where you and I will talk about uh, today. So you gave us some background. We are going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, I want you to just fill in how you get the spot, how you get to this organization. I mean, you've been leading this organization for a number of years now. 1990, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So what did, So I want to know when we come back, did you work here first? Did you have an experience somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And eventually, meaning eventually, meaning in this program today, we will get to speaking of programs, we'll get to your programs, we'll get to the impact, and we'll get to some anecdotal stories, because we're talking about stories. And that's what really, you know, sells, if you will, and we're trying to sell the mission of your organization and, and talk about how great it is. So if it's okay with you, we're gonna take a quick break, we come back, we will just continue this dialogue. Sounds good? Yeah, we are right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Oh, yeah. Come through the static, join me in the attic, but literally don't show up. Like, don't literally, my kids love to use that word literally. Like, don't literally show up at the house and, like, climb up the stairs, come in the attic, because it's a good chance I won't even be here. I'm not here all the time, although I act as if I am. Here's the deal. I want to read something to you. I didn't plan this, so I'm just going to go with it. The Dash. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears, but said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash, although it does feel, this is me, it does feel like that sometimes. But gang, that's not really worth anything. what matters is how we lived and loved and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger hmm, and show appreciation more and love people in our lives we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this dash might only last a while so when your eulogy is being read with all your life's actions to rehash would you be proud of the things they say about you and how you lived your dash linda ellis i don't know you but i appreciate you i literally have hair standing up on my arms right now what a special poem and nancy that's how the show goes we didn't plan that (laughs) we did not plan that but that just comes up because you know what something you said changed something i thought and now now, a bunch of people who never heard that poem have heard that poem for the first time. 
Shout out to Mick Collins. Yes, Mick, you did share on Facebook the correct. That is my dad's Ralph's Italian ice. It's out in Huntington, Long Island. Love the ices. Um, Mick also shared the website. Mick from uh, Pay It Forward Processing, who's a good friend of me, a good friend of my show, uh, does a lot of work with nonprofits. Nancy, they give back um, their proceeds, their revenue, their profits, rather, to nonprofit organizations. It's a merchant processing company. So you should know Mick. We'll make that happen down the road. All right, let's get back into this story at hand. So you've been, you, you've determined that this is the work you want to go into. Certainly on the administrative side was really what drew you. Why was that? Did you want to run business? Was that how you saw things? Talk to me about that. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I about organizations and how they operate. Um, and so um, that drew me to that side of things. Um how I can have an impact on an organization and grow it. I, I mean, I have a strong interest in the programmatic side of everything. So administrative, but programmatic, developing new programs, bringing new ideas um, forward. Um, and so that's really my area of interest. Um, so, so let me ask you this. So the organization was launched in 1972 and it became independently incorporated in 79 when the first agencies to focus on behavioral health needs of older adults as a national leader in the field. Now, there's, I can go on about awards of the organization as one of the things like that. What I really want to say is we're talking about the 70s. Now, when we talk about the 70s, you know, from a mental health perspective, and I'm not going to claim to know that I know all the statistics, but there was this evolution in this country, maybe on the planet, but in this country is how mental health was being handled and how prior to, uh, you know, certain medications and prescription meds coming out onto the market, uh, folks were, for lack of a better way of saying it, and I don't mean disrespect, were in institutions, were mm-hmm. in hospitals, and they did not leave hospitals. And mm-hmm. um and, and then that all changed. So, um, you know, it seems like your organization has been around to some of that, uh, into some of that history as well. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly where we were located on the Upper West Side, our physical offices, because um, back in the 70s, there was an enormous push to discharge people who had been institutionalized for years, which meant many of these people coming out were older now in their older years. So they had, they had to learn, out. they had to learn certain. So I have my friend, Alison Colvino from, um, we were on the, on the show a couple of weeks back from options for community living. And one of the things we were talking about, it is um, in July, it's uh, HIV stigma awareness month. Shout out to options. Yolanda and the team saw a bunch of them last week, uh, uh, last Friday night at an event. But I, I just, it, it was like this thing where people had to learn the, uh habits what well, i'm sorry the the daily living abilities right like which they maybe never had to do before and they have to learn some of these things as adults a- absolutely so our organization t- you know um did start back in the 70s and and really served um you know a, a wide range of older adults in ter- who were struggling with mental health issues so there could be people who like we just were referring to would spent years in psychiatric hospitals or cycled in and out of regular hospitals for mental health issues. And um, we did develop a program, um, a day program to support those older adults who had more serious and chronic mental health issues. But we also um, were hearing from community partners that there was a huge need for um, mental health services for people as they were getting older who were beginning to due to recent changes in their life, we're struggling now with mental health issues. So it could be due to health concerns, recent retirement and adjustment to that, um, loss of a loved one, so bereavement. Um, So there's really a a wide spectrum of older adults that we were seeing that had mental health concerns. And so our agency formed a number of different programs and services to meet the needs of a really um, a diverse population. Yeah. Um, diverse in terms of their mental health needs and concerns, diverse in terms of their backgrounds, because um, we serve all of Manhattan and we've grown since then to the Bronx and Brooklyn. But so the you know communities we were serving were very diverse as well. Yeah, and I guess diversity of economic situations, right? Not everybody can afford resources to go see. You know, now I mean, if you see certain mental health professional and pay out of pocket. Uh, you know, 
these are professionals. These are professionals and they should be paid for their work. However, sometimes not everybody has the, the resources to to go in absolutely uh, those prices. So talk to me a little bit about not a little bit or a lot about, I mean, the, the, the when I say community, the community that you've developed, because you know, 24 satellite locations through Manhattan, the Bronx, and Brooklyn. We'll get into all the collaboration and you know the pros program and things like that, which you know personalized recovery oriented services, which we can talk about as well. I, I just I feel like, and it could be because you and I and your team met a month ago, and I did a write up about this, and and what really stood out for me was what you've created in community where you know, and we could talk about telehealth because I think it's important as well, right? I know that's on your radar. But, but also, like, what did it look like? Um, because they, your team kept saying to me, you know, Nancy created these relationships, created this in, in community stuff. What does that look like? Can you talk to me like the footprint? What does that mean that you created this network? Yeah, I mean, I think when I when I first got to the organization, yes, we had our main offices on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And we had a, a wonderful clinic that supported people who were able to come into our offices for mental health treatment. Um, but we were hearing from partners throughout the community. So older adult centers, home care agencies, hospitals, that there was a need, a, a, a broader need. And at that time, there was still, and not that there isn't stigma, but there was much more stigma around mental health. And so we came up with the concept of trying to embed mental health services in places that people were comfortable going to. So senior or older adult centers in their communities that they were going for lunch and bingo and whatever other services they got there, that if we could outstation a a clinician, a social worker at that site and provide mental health services there, that that would have a huge impact and make it accessible, less of a stigma um, in in people's communities. And we began to reach out. Um, We proactively reached out, but we also were hearing from folks throughout the city, you know, there's a real need for the kind of services you have on the Upper West Side in my community, on the Upper East Side. Um, And so we developed the notion of of, uh, these partnerships, um, of providing the services at locations in in the different communities, Um, outstationing our social worker, whether it be one to two to three days a week, depending on the need in these sites and providing the same services they would have gotten if they walked in our doors at 91st Street, but in a, in a center that they were comfortable going to, that was in their community, that they could get to easily. Um, and it was very successful. And we started hearing from more centers, oh, I'd like something in my community. Could you come in and do some? So we started developing these satellite locations. Um, so we have a license to provide services as, you know, we are licensed by the New York State Office of Mental Health. And to develop the, these uh, satellites, you need to get your licenses approved at all these physical sites. And we did we did that slowly. One by one, we started yeah. developing more and more of them in different communities. Um, and how long has that program of opening up these satellites been going on? Oh, over 30 years. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, we started so I- but I guess since we've solved the mental health issue, we probably don't need to open any more satellites, right? There's no more mental health challenge crisis in this country. Well, I, obviously we're goofing there, Tommy D. But the thing about it for me is that says you can continue to open up these satellites. And, and you know, I think one of the advantages is these are partnerships. So, um, you know, I don't know how much to share, but I'll just say I think it, it's the cost of you opening up these satellites as a nonprofit organization. As we know, cost and expenses is always paramount. and in the discussion is not necessarily as big as it would be if you were opening up your own centers outside the city, right? That's another animal. Yeah. That's absolutely. Um, And we're providing services, as I said, in some really diverse communities. So we're, we mentioned that we're, uh, we're at visions with working with visually impaired older adults. We're working at um, SAGE with the LGBTQ community. Um, We're, you know, we're in, in a lot of different communities, which, um, brings uh, mental health to those to those older adults, um, and we're really proud of that. That we're able to make that accessible and, and available to a broad population. I love that, and and isn't that great? Because you know what, if everybody does what they're best at, and, and you know, I mean, whether this be in business or a nonprofit, you know, if everybody's in their their zone of expertise. And they can bring that service, that program to someone else's organization. That organization doesn't have to go out and 
create, recreate the wheel, so to speak, but let me just mm-hmm. leverage what you do best and I'll give you the space, you know, mm-hmm. to do what you do best. And, and then we'll collab and we'll say, well, this is working and maybe this isn't working. Maybe we, wow. That sounds like, you know, one plus one does not equal two and that one plus one equals probably 2,700. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it's about that sort of leveraging each other's best and, and then uh, everybody's better off for it. And ultimately the community gets served. There's some things I want to talk about, you know, when we come back a little bit, you know, the telehealth. And I also want to talk about, um, you know, what it's been like in, in the sense of recruiting. And this is from a leadership perspective, really how just straight up it is, difficult recruiting individuals in general, period, end of story, then how difficult it is recruiting to the nonprofit sector, okay, then how difficult it is recruiting people to the mental health, okay, and then recruiting people into the geriatric mental health, so it's like smaller, 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 so you have come up with a strategy and a philosophy and part of your culture as to sort of address some of that, right? Yes. All right, let's talk about it when we come back. We'll leave them right on the cliff, a cliffhanger. Philanthropy and focus, right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Right. I have to be in focus. That's it, man. Just look, I'm fortunate enough to hang out with people who lead nonprofit organizations who change the world. I could have said, you know, like I'm the hedge fund sector connector, but no, thank you. I want to be the nonprofit sector connector because I hang out with people, change the world and make it a better place. And maybe someday when they're talking about my dash, it'll be, wow, he hung out with people who changed the world. So I want to read this. I don't know if it's plagiarism. If you read something you wrote on your own radio show, but we'll just see how it works. One of the communities that is often is invisible and whose mental health challenges are not adequately addressed while it has an acute need is our aging population. And that's what we're talking about. And that's, you know, that was from a conversation I had with Nancy Harvey and her team uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And this organization is on the front lines dealing with rather serving, not dealing with, but serving individuals who are overcoming addiction, who have faced even more trauma as they, uh, as they age. Uh, often as they, as their health deteriorates, this becomes more challenging. And then I, I was even thinking, you know, I think in the terms of like partnership, romantic relationships, or even just friendships as, as a caregiver, right. And we're all either going to be one or we are one, right. That's just how it is. Um, as older adults who might be caring for a partner or another loved one, it gets even more challenging and that's a strain on our mental health, you know, um, Right. So there's so many things that are pulling. I mean, I know what it's like to be a 45 year old man raising four children with my wife and running a business and all the other thing. And that is challenging. And when health starts to come in, 
you know, physical health starts to deteriorate, that that makes another whole nother challenge. So what I wanted to go, go into a little further about programs and things, and then we can talk about, you know, telehealth and even how telehealth has been a boon to recruiting and this culture that you have of kind of bringing people through. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. Take it away. So, I mean, I do want to speak about two two other programs that we didn't touch on. I mean, we did touch on briefly when I was talking more about the seriously mentally ill and folks that have had chronic uh, mental health issues throughout their life. So we um, operate the only um, PROS program, so Personalized Recovery Oriented um, Services Program for older adults in New York State. Um, And it's working on um, not just maintaining people in the community. These are folks, as I said, who were discharged from state psychiatric hospitals or cycled in and out of hospital, um, regular hospitals for mental health issues and needed the supports to to return to life in the community. Um, And so our PROS program, as we call it, um, has been really successful in working with this population um, who, who really, you know, helping them to reconnect them with, uh, for example, um, in some cases, employment and uh, reconnecting with family, uh, volunteering in the community. Um, so it's, it's, a, uh, it's a really um, special program. And um, so I did want to give a shout out to, to that um, program and also to our bereavement program which you have up here yeah so gang just let me jump in one second nancy so what i'm sharing let's say you found this as a podcast only what i'd encourage you to do is i'm just sharing my screen and looking at some of the programs but you would go to spop.org and then mm-hmm. you would go to the programs tab and you would see that's what i'm sharing for folks who are yeah. watching the video absolutely talk about bereavement please yeah so bereavement i mean um we we operate a bereavement support program so it's all volunteers themselves who have been bereaved and have been trained by our staff to operate um, support groups to help people, whether they have a loss due to a spouse, partner, or unfortunately, say, child or other family member, a loved one in their family. And so we lead these wonderful uh, uh, bereavement support um, groups that have been really successful in helping people transition back um, and make connections also talking about connections. Many of the people who have been in our bereavement support groups have maintained relationships after that and to help them get um, reestablished in, in their life um, yeah. after their tremendous loss. Um, so, you know, we operate a number of different programs and, you know, I could, go on about them but i think yeah um, i'm happy that you've highlighted our website yeah i want people to go to spop.org and it's not it's not always common that you can get such a small uh url like that spop.org spop.org um i you know something's coming up for me i want to just put it out there is you know i do a lot of work in the community of individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities and it's an interest personally and it's just a connection of you know of, of where my heart is in a lot of ways um, and I think in terms of as you talk about this type of work and connections and relationships, you know, I, I find that in my experience from a vocational perspective, individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities often are unemployed, not because of lack of skill or ability, but rather for a lack of access, mm-hmm. you know, so it, they have so much to give. They just and, and shout out to Winter Center for Autism. Christine Ponzio will be on the show next week. Uh, just, I was out there scooping Italian ices with them. It was like 95 degrees. I mean, I was, I was melting. The ice was melting, but no, I, I, I had a, I had a cooler. I didn't, I didn't have a freezer. I had a cooler, but I, I will tell you this. Um, they've now in their program, just being one year old, have, uh, helped 120 in, adults with intellectual developmental disabilities get gainful employment, right? My point of doing this parallel here, Nancy, is these seniors have so much more to give too. Mm-hmm. you know, people are going to live into their eighties and their nineties. Like at you're 65, maybe that's just, we're just getting warmed up, man. You know, like there's a lot more to give. So, you know, whether it be giving through programs, what the bereavement or the pros program or however they can give back and be, be, uh, you know, an asset to these communities, then yeah, we got to do that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up, but we start, we, Define older, which is, is funny because nowadays that's not older as fifty five. Um, so we're serving a really broad spectrum. That scares me. That I scares know. me. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 that's a decade away. That's older. My my <laughs> kids are laughing because they think I'm an old man right now. Right. So we're seeing people 
starting at 55 and going into their 90s. So it's a really, and so people are taking care of. It's half of a life though. That's half yeah. of their life. You're going to, we're considering people older for half their life. Yeah. You know, and so it's a, it's a big range. And so it's a, you know, we're seeing people who are still working, people who have worked throughout their life, people who were not, who, as I said, who were perhaps institutionalized. So it's a really diverse population. But I did want to go back to, you mentioned telehealth. And yeah, is that something that's near and dear to us? So before COVID, our agency recognized, particularly with the population we were serving, how valuable telehealth might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, our client population would struggle sometimes to come in for their service, you know, for their therapy if it was a snow day, if they had they weren't feeling well. Um, I, I could go on for right. various reasons, and so they have to cancel their appointment. Um, and we were always saying how valuable telehealth would be if we were able to provide this to this population. Unfortunately, before COVID, it wasn't paid for mm-hmm. by Medicaid, Medicare, private insurance. Any nobody recognized it as something, um, so, except for in rural communities. Um, and so, with the with COVID, we say the silver lining has been the ones has been first of all less of a stigma around mental health, um, and B the fact that we can provide telehealth services. Um, and, you know, we um, we pivoted right when COVID hit. Um, we trained our, our social workers and staff in the use of telehealth. We didn't think our clients, and this is, again, this is our ages, and we didn't think our clients would, would be right. able to figure out the technology. Uh, they did. We worked with them. We used some of our peers to help them to get onto Zoom and how to use the platform. And it has, con- it kept our client population connected and new clients coming in throughout the pandemic. We were able to provide telehealth throughout the pandemic. How is that? And I'm looking at my notes. I'm totally stealing from something I wrote. So how does that also affect, um, I'm, I'm kind of like setting this one up for you, but like, how has that also affected your staff and, and, you know, what it's been the ability to that's given certainly during COVID when no more, you know, not nobody was going anywhere. Like, I was going to say no one was going nowhere, but that wouldn't make sense because I would say everybody was going everywhere. But when we, I, I think of organizations like yours, and probably uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I, and when I think of options for community living, their folks were in. This is not the services that you could provide from. They weren't necessarily like selling health benefits like I do. That that could be done from you know from one's home, right? So, I guess my question is twofold: is how did this affect your staff during COVID, like to telehealth? for them um and then also uh you know what does that look like from the perspective of making their lifestyle better your employees and attracting people to the to the work yeah i mean i think you know everybody really uh, you know amazingly transitioned really well and quickly to the telehealth concept i think we realized that if we were able to provide this successfully we would be able to stay connected with our clients who needed us particularly needed us because as older people, they were really socially isolated during COVID. Um, and so this was really important. And our staff was really, really dedicated to making sure that they were able to continue to provide services to their population that really focused on that. We um, did partially reopen, you know, opened and closed like a lot of agencies throughout the, the ups and downs of COVID. But at this point, we are, our staff are working partially remote, which I think has made a big difference, like you said, in terms of recruitment and retention. Um, We are, I'd say about 20 to 25% of our clients are coming in for in-person services, and we're there for them if that's what they choose. And staff are coming in two to three days a week to provide those in-person. We're rotating schedules. So we always have somebody, more than somebody, you know, several staff on, uh, you know, on site. Um, but we're also providing telehealth for those who want that as an option. Or, they, for example, they may think they want to come in and all of a sudden they say that something comes up and they're not feeling well and they want to continue their session. And they'll say, can I switch it to telehealth today? Yeah. Has that increased your capacity? I mean, if you say 20 to 25 percent of the people are in person, you know, is that to say that as a result of telehealth being this asset, um, can you see statistically that you're seeing more people and do you, are there yes. specific numbers? Like do you, when you look at that? 
Absolutely. We can see more people. I mean, one of the models, and we'll probably go back to this, we were the first agency and one of a handful in New York that provided services in clients' homes. So prior to COVID, for those older adults who really could not get out either due to physical or mental health issues, we would provide mental health support in their homes. So our social workers went out, our psychiatrists went out. Uh, We did stop that during COVID. And we're looking at that again to see if people would be comfortable going back into people's homes, if our client population would be comfortable, if our staff would be. But um, telehealth with telehealth, well, obviously, if you're seeing people in their homes, you can see less people. There's travel involved and time. And well, with telehealth, um, we're able to see more people. We get the phone is ringing quite yeah. a bit. I mean, yeah. we are finding that uh, we're seeing more trauma since COVID, more grief, anxiety, prolonged isolation, and increased substance use. People who relapse. Relapse, a lot of relapse. Yeah, um, you telling me that when we spoke offline, and yeah, well, and that to me is is it, it, to me it makes sense. Somebody who you know right. is quote unquote in recovery. I don't drink anymore, but you know, I think it's just in terms of when when folks get low and they're isolated and they, you know, what what do they say? Um, uh, what is the antidote for uh, for depression? Connection, right? Mm-hmm. I tell you, man, when I'm feeling low. A good old hug makes me feel better. I mean, like connection with people. I will tell you this, you know, which I think I share pretty openly, but like I didn't realize it, but early COVID, I was in some level of mourning and not to be funny and mock people who lost someone during COVID, but I was mourning my lifestyle. You know, Mm -hmm. like I was a guy who was on the road meeting new people, 30, 40, 50 new people, new faces, right? That fed my dopamine in my brain or, or created that dopamine I needed. And then I didn't have that. And I think that, so if, if think of that in terms of, mm-hmm. of, of isolation for seniors or someone who's already experienced some mental health issues and now mm-hmm. I'm alone and I don't have anybody. I mean, I don't want to go back to, you know, when we saw the grandmother or the grandfather looking out of the window of the, of the, the nursing home and all right. this stuff, like just the, you know, where that was the only interaction. But anyway, um, God, I can't believe that was a part of our life. Yes. Not, not yeah. too long ago. That was our life in this COVID era. All right. So to, to move on, because we could talk right. about that piece, I'll just kind of rant about it, but we won't now. Let's let's move on for a second because we're going to go. I'm going to go to one last break. We come back. I think it's critically important to hit upon this piece that you and I have kind of flirted around this morning about, you know, what the program that you have created as what I'll call a pipeline mm-hmm. of bringing people into the work, you know, um, from a licensing perspective and the whole thing. I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure and your team knows what I'm talking about. So we come back, if we could talk about that, because I think that leaves a, uh, a roadmap for other organizations to be mindful and thoughtful about bringing people through the ranks to create what it is we need, leaders in this space. Is that fair? Fair enough. Yep. Let's do it. We'll be right back to uh, to close up philanthropy and focus because I always tell you this: we run out of time way before we run out of words. And you, if you hang out with me, you know that. All right, be right back. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and intangify your business today. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc.
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. We are back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, what you probably didn't know that I always wanted to be a game show host or maybe a ringleader in a circus. So when I was uh, a no animal circus, no animal circus, I'm an animal advocate. So no, none of the abused animals, like maybe like maybe the uh, ringleader at Cirque du Soleil, you know, I think that's how you say that word, Cirque du Soleil. But uh, listen, I, I had uh, when I got married, I had a top hat on and I had on what they call a, a morning suit, which is not like... Um, it's not tails, but it's like the cutaway on the on the back because and I had a I had like a Willy Wonka like walking stick because why wouldn't you? I'm only going to get married once, and uh, that was <laughs> that one. Text me for the pictures. Uh, get, maybe I'll put one up on Instagram. Tommy NYC on Instagram is uh, where you can find <laughs> the picture of my wedding. Apparently, all right. So uh, Nancy, let's um let's get into that thing there that piece about how you know it's challenging to. Uh, just to find staff in general, but even more in certain uh, certain areas. Absolutely. I mean, I think every all nonprofits and businesses in general have been really struggling with with recruitment. Um, we um, we have as well, but um, fortunately, um, we have find, found recently or been able to recruit more people into the field. I mean, it's, I think it's again really important that there's some connection to older adults in some way in their lives. Um, we are, um, you know, we really, um, we, we do offer a fair amount of training at our organization to help support people in their growth. Um, if they're a recent graduate, we offer a lot of supervision, which people really value in mental health. So I think that's really important. Um, my board did a start a, um, an initiative um, named for me, um, they put some funds in it to help support new social workers who are look, or, or actually people who are looking to go into the social work field. So right now they're offering a um, scholarship to one of our employees to go to social work school. She was one of the peers in our program. Um, she's always had an interest and to help her support her um, and to hope, hopefully to keep her employed at SPOP in as she graduates as a social worker. Um, so, we, you know, we really try to find different ways to support um, staff as they come into the organization. But, um, and, and I think the fact that we have a strong reputation, you know, if somebody is interested in working with an older population and has an interest in mental health, we're one of a handful of organizations that, you know, that can offer employment for them. Um, and, and the supervision that they would want and the training that they would want to, to stay and to learn. Yeah. Uh, I, think. I, I know a lot of leaders in general. Um, I, I shouldn't say in general. I, I know a lot of nonprofit leaders are not so much about them and are about my team and the organization, but you just brushed over something. Did you say the board created this scholarship thing in your name? Yes. Can you, be, can you pretend you're not talking about Nancy or pretend you are right. not Nancy? And what does that actually mean? Please. Well, I won't call it the Nancy Harper initiative. <laughs> laugh. I call it the NH initiative. But right. it's um, it they f- funded it. Uh, I guess it was two years ago now. Uh, putting in money to help grow the field. Yeah. Um, so that we recognized how important it is to bring new and younger, or, or people of any age, really, into yeah. the field. Um, and to support them. And some people that meant um monies to be able to go back to school to get a degree or to get a fur- to further their education. And so um, people can apply within the organization for support. And the first, the first grant that was given, actually she was given it twice because she's now in her second year of social work school. So one of our peers um, who was really interested in going um, to social work school and supporting her education um, and that those funds helped her to be able to pay her tuition and to stay in school. So, so this is somebody who, sorry to interrupt, this is somebody who's already been in your organization, has a connection to the work, has a connection to this community, and then the organization says, and I will call it the Nancy Harvey Initiative, <laughs> because I can, 
Because okay. I, I, I got a little ego myself. It was a okay. Tommy D initiative. I would call it the Tommy D initiative. Okay. But I, I so that initiative is focused on bringing people who are already in the work through and helping them level up, career up, right? Get the certification, get the degree. That's, that's big. That's really, really important. So yeah. whatever you want to call it, NH initiative or Nancy Hart <laughs> initiative, whatever you decide, the point is it is important and it's making a difference. I have another question too, and we have no time left, so we got to make this fast. Right. Is there any, any events that are coming up that you want to shout out that we should be aware of? There are no specific events, although I will share with you, we just got the link. We just came back from a, a fantastic conference where we got to present in Greece, um, sponsored by a very large foundation, and we just got the video of the presentation. Okay. So I'll make sure to share that with that, you. Yeah, where is that? Is that going to be on your website or is that? Yeah, we're, we're going to get it on our website. We just got the link. So I will share that because it talks about the importance of the work we're doing. Uh, two, two comments. We want to yes. make sure that people are rejecting negative stereotypes about aging and that they're viewing each person as an individual, That's not an age. 100%. Those are two 100%. important things I want to get out there. 100%. Rejecting negative stereotypes about aging. aging and view each person as an individual, not their age. We would change most of the problems in this world if we just viewed individuals as individuals and stopped trying to put people into freaking groups. There's only one group. The human group, right? Like that's Agreed. a group. Start dissecting it. Look at everybody as individuals. And maybe I even me saying the human group is wrong, right? So probably it's but, just right. You know, you got, you got what I'm saying. So right. I'm a 45 yes. year old man. I am not the same as most 45 year old men, and most 45 year old and men are not going to do it what this guy does. So it's just <laughs> different. So individuals, super super important. Uh, one last question before we go, and we got literally a minute to do it. Uh, last week, I was with my friend Lauren Vlacos at Alzheimer's Dementia Resource Center in Long Island, on Long Island, however you say it. I've only lived here 45 years. I think it's on Long Island. How does this relate, quickly, if you could, to cognitive issues and, and mental health and that piece? I know I didn't give you a lot yeah. of time. Yeah, I mean, we we are seeing people, unfortunately, that we started serving and throughout, you know, they've been with us for many years and started experiencing some cognitive decline, um, begin begin early stages of Alzheimer's. I mean, it is hard to be able to provide um, therapeutic sessions once they get into a certain stage, but we do work with people with early yeah. stage um, and then refer them to partners that we know in the community. That's what I figured. That is connection, connecting people to support groups, to therapists, to people who are, who are skilled in working with this population. And that's what I figured you'd say, because that's what yeah. it is. Everybody stay, right? Stay in your lane to the best of your ability and connect and refer out and then receive those referrals right back in. The website is spop.org, spop.org. And I did mention Lauren Vlacos, Alzheimer's Dementia Resource Center. I'll share her information, you know, the organization on Facebook in a second. Uh, and then look to, to connect with me. It's tommyd.nyc on Instagram and the whole thing. Nancy, anything you want to leave them with before we go? No, just thank you for this opportunity to speak with you and share our story. And um, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I am I feel like I made a new friend and I appreciate okay. that. I hope we stay connected. Thank you to uh, your team, Janet, and everybody else for making this happen. And uh, listen, thank you, Logan, for doing a great job on the production side. And uh, thank you, mom and dad, for creating me. Because if uh, you didn't create me, then I couldn't be here to make all the changes I'm making. All right? Make it a great day, everybody. I'll see you later. Bye. Thank you. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. 
Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from the startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and intangify your business today. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 